0: But from time to time, we agree on a topic and things just don't work out the way we think they're <laughs> going to work out. And I had heard of a, a creature from down Arkansas way known as the Gowrao. And that's how I'm going to say it. I don't know how, it's, how they pronounce it down there. But I, I, I saw this creature and I read about it. And then as we, we started working on this episode, Eric and I.
1: were trying to flesh it all out.
0: Eric realized he wasn't going to find that much about the Galrao. and And man, as I dug into it, I realized that there is basically one story. About the Gowrao, and it just repeats over and but over. shared
1: at least 500 times.
0: So we've done, you know, like Strange Missouri or, or Southern Swamp Tales. So this, this episode is going to, I'm going to focus, I mean, I do have a lot about the Rao, but I, I found some other creatures to talk about, and I think Eric found some other things. And so this episode is just going to be some, some strange stories from Arkansas.
1: From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Now, when we started out, you know, you start thinking about okay, well, what kind of cryptids are in Arkansas? And I came across immediately the White River Monster,
0: which was like episode, episode three, well, two
1: or three uh, uh, episode where we covered the, the river monsters. It yeah. was, a, a, I was you know, Ozark's waterways. I Ozark think is what waterways. We said. Then I was like the Falk Monster or the Legend of Boggy Creek, which That was a standalone episode. episode, episode number fourteen. And then the Ozark Howler standalone episode, episode Whole number episode. 13,
0: our, our first cursed episode, you could say Oh, we yes. lost the original recording.
1: Lost that one and to re-record it. I think we recorded it the third time and it's like third time's a charm we ain't well, doing this.
0: I think we we lost it the first time, we recorded it the second time, but then there were audio issues in that one and I I, I don't know that we recorded it three times, but man, it was
1: it it was a struggle. We'll just leave it at that. It. it was a struggle.
0: I think we I think we call it the long lost episode even though, you know, no one really realized Nobody
1: that. realized that but us, <laughs> but it's like, this is one of our cursed episodes. So I, I, I first, I came across something that's like, okay, this one's new. And it's called the Heber Springs Water Panther. Yep, I have that one too. So the, the origins of the Water Panther come from many different Native American tribes from around the area. Uh, the Abuigi, the uh, Algonian, the Cree, the Ottawa, the Minomi, the Shawnee tribes. And the panther is described to be like that of similar to a Bigfoot, and if a puma had a baby, you can imagine that. That's kind of freaked up and yeah, creepy. Cross between a Bigfoot and a puma, which it doesn't get
0: into much more description than that. So I don't know what aspects what or that, what does that really mean. You know, um, in my mind, I a just gave like and a cat. Well, <laughs> in my mind, I kind of went with like a when I envisioned it, I gave it like the shape of a Bigfoot, but with like a panther's head. But one of the craziest things I found was that it supposedly is amphibious. Oh, yes, And that it can breathe underwater and
1: breathe on land. The, the Native American tribes, this panther to them was a malevolent spirit that would drag people underwater to their death. So it chose to not kill you on, on the ground, bash you against a tree or nothing, but drag you underneath the water. And it said that like when uh, Greer's Ferry Lake was made between 1959 and 1962, the panther's habitat was flooded. Yeah. Uh, So fewer reports were made about sightings of the panther after that.
0: For a little while. They kind of picked up in the— 1960s. 1966. Yep, yep, yep. You got some more on that? It kind of roamed around the area for a while before that in the bottomlands, and then when they flooded the area to make the lake, it started being seen more often in the lake. Again, like you said, it it haunts the waters of Greer's Ferry Lake and the Little Red River there. And it was first seen by the natives and then later by Europeans. Trappers and hunters told stories of a beast that lived in a limestone cave. And that will come back a little bit later in the Little Little Red River Bottomlands. And it killed people and emitted a scream that was described as, quote, the cry of a panther and the scream of Satan himself.
1: Which is kind of similar to the Ozark Howler a little bit.
0: Well, in a panther, you know, they, the panther. they do have a woman-like but, scream when they scream.
1: I, I don't know. I have never met a, a Sasquatch personally to ask him if he likes water, but I would think with the big woolly coat that, that he wouldn't like water, and most cats don't like water. Well, I talk about the Lake Conway monster a little bit, and okay. we'll
0: see when we get there that maybe this isn't as uncommon as you think.
1: Okay. Well, many people claim that they had saw this water panther either entering or leaving, as Bill said, caves on the northern shore of that area.
0: Yes, uh, a, a partially submerged natural opening in a sheer limestone cliff, hmm. which kind of lines up with some of the original stories of it living in a limestone cave, although this cave is now in the lake. Right. So.
1: Now, another person, a diver, uh, actually came across the water panther. They said while they were scuba diving, the diver said the that 70s. it had a a thick, dense fur, and said it could move very quickly through through the water, underwater swimming. Uh, the water panther had ripped off the diver's mast. That's some scary stuff right there. Yeah. Uh, luckily, the diver was able to fight it off and, and get to the surface to get to air. Despite being in shock and the lacerations that they had all over their body, so they had like these claw marks all over their body, some people say that you can hear it screaming from its cave, if you'd like to learn more about, you know, there's there's links and there's a little bit there of Heber, uh, Heber Springs and the Water Panther.
0: Well, I've got a, a story where workers were converting a cave into a boathouse for a U.S. senator on, on, on the lake there. And they were actually building an elevator to go from the house to through the into the cave, I guess, through the cave, through the, the stone into the cave. Okay. And they said they were terrorized while they were working on this project by the hellish screams and agonized cries of some hideous creature that must have been living in the cave.
1: It goes back to so, that. Yeah
0: that that cave i mean it lives it must live in the caves in the region but yeah it apparently roamed around and was known way back in the days before there were european settlers before there was even a lake there and then they you know flooded the region to build a lake which happens a lot in this area
1: now and the limited research that i could find on the heber springs water panther the description, as we said, was kind of vague. You know, a puma and a Bigfoot, basically if they had a baby. Just a horrid man-like beast. You're going back at least to the Native American Indian times, but recorded really in 1959. So you would think, okay, it's a cat. There must be a family, a clan. There would be youngsters maybe, or is it just one that survived that long? That's, That's a little hard to believe. But I could find no more mention of like, Two of them being seen, or no. any mention of coming across a cave where, you know, maybe a, a layer would be or babies. I couldn't. I couldn't come up with anything on that. Well, to
0: the the root of the problem of this episode, I did flesh out the story of the Gowra. There is a, a quite a bit about it now. Depending on where you're looking and who you talk to, I did see a post on Reddit that was written by a local of the area that said, "Hey, I hate to tell you, but this was just a story created by newspaper folks to sell papers back." You know, and then the the day
1: we've seen that before, obviously. Yep. But
0: the, it, I found it to be a very interesting story. It was fairly well documented for the couple encounters there are. But like we said in the intro, there for what there is, everybody that talks about the Galrau just tells these same stories over and over.
1: They read the same newspaper article. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so the principal documentation of the Galrau's existence is a story that appeared in the Arkansas Gazette on January 31st of 1897. That's going back. It was written by Albert Smithy with Elmer Burris providing an illustration to accompany the article, allegedly based on a photograph. Now, this picture is out there. If you want to look for it, it's kind of a creepy-looking creature. I'd say sort of a chupacabra-esque, crossed with an alligator kind of thing. It's,
1: I saw that picture, yes. You know,
0: it's described as dragon-like in almost every encounter or every, every article that I read. Now, Fred W. Alsop, editor of the Gazette at the time, recalled later the circumstances that led to this story being published said he had heard from William Miller, a Little Rock businessman, who had been traveling through the Ozark Forest in the northwest of Arkansas, a a story of a horrible monster known as the Galrau. Now, the name supposedly originated from the noise it made during its rampages through the night. But as the story goes, Miller had come upon the small town of Blanco while traveling through the forest, and the town had been plagued by an unknown predator attacking pets and livestock. I don't know about you, but if something's attacking my pet, I want to take care of that problem. Mm Mm-hmm. So the, the creature had been slaughtering livestock and pets in the Calf Creek Township area, which is sort of Blanco was part of that. And he decided he was going to do, you know, his part in stopping the rampages of the Gowrao. So Miller formed a posse that tracked down the Gowrao to its lair. Inside a cave that was littered with the skeletons of animals and even human remains is, is where they tracked this beast. or They, they waited outside the cave. They were going to ambush the monster as it left the cave when they heard a, a commotion from a nearby lake. Now, they said its footfalls caused the very earth to tremble as it made its way from the lake to the cave. And, I mean, as it came into in sight, I, I guess they just unleashed fire on it, just shot it over and over That's repeatedly. a
1: big-sized creature then.
0: Yeah. Now they said it took several volleys from the posse to finally bring the Gal Rao down. And even before its death, it was able to tear several trees out of the ground and tear the leg off one of the posse members. Um, Now, examining the remains of the creature revealed a creature that they described as 20 feet in length with two tusks, large webbed feet ending in claws, a row of short horns along its back, and a long thin tail with a blade-like point at the end. Does sound very alligator-like to me. Yeah, yeah. Now, Williams claimed to have sent the body to the Smithsonian, as we've touched on in previous episodes, though. The Smithsonian isn't always reliable.
1: They lose a lot of stuff.
0: Well, supposedly the body never actually arrived in Washington, D.C., so... Oopsie. They never even got the body. Now Alsop, the the paper man, he dismissed the story, saying, "Oh, it's a great fake, probably without a foundation in fact at all." However, Ozark researcher of folklore Vance Randolph was able to find some additional details and more stories about the Rao than this one story. Uh, he believed it had been reported back as early as the 1880s, and his sources suggested that the creature was a it was a species. It wasn't a singular monster. There wasn't one Galral, but you know, there were lots of Gowraus, and that the young hatched from soft-shelled eggs as large as beer kegs. Wow. That's, that's not in line with an alligator, obviously.
1: That's more along the lines with a dragon.
0: And it was said that the mother carried newly hatched infants in a pouch, so mm. some sort of marsupial creature. Now, Randolph was able to find a story about a possible encounter with a Rao in 1935, and this one was related by Spelunker E.J. Rhodes while exploring a cave known as the Devil's Hole. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go in
1: the devil's hole. Let's go swim in the devil's hole.
0: So this cave was in Boone County in northern Arkansas. Now, EJ heard a commotion in the cave as he was exploring, and after crawling down about 20 feet to get closer to the noise, he still had not seen anything, and he eventually came to a place where he could no longer descend safely. It was just kind of dropped off into a pit. Now, in an attempt to see how far down this hole went, he took a flat iron uh, pan, is my understanding, like a a cast iron. Skillet, yeah. There you go and he lowered it on a rope into the cavern. Now, after hearing a hissing noise from below, he quickly pulled it up, not sure he wanted to disturb whatever was down there, and found that the, the cast iron skillet was bent. Whoa. Now, the amount of strength it would take to do that?
1: Whoa. Significant.
0: So, he used a rock for three more attempts. Tied a rock off to the rope, lowered the rope down. Something bit through the rope each time, cleanly biting through the rope, no more rock. So, this is allegedly the same cave where Miller had tracked the Galrao. And and supposedly there was also a story from Polk County of someone who had claimed to have captured a Galrao, and I do like this story a little bit. He supposedly had tricked the creature by getting it to eat so many dried apples that it <laughs> swelled to a size that prevented it from squeezing back into the opening of its burrow. Tricky, tricky. Well, if it's a predator creature and it kills livestock, why is it eating apples? Why is it eating apples? So he, he was able to catch it, and and he would he took it. And he would show it off. He, w- he offered to show it off to anyone who was willing to pay a
1: quarter. So was it dead at this point or just no, fat? still alive. Just big and fat?
0: Big and fat. He kept it behind a curtain. And once he had a big enough audience, once he would collected enough quarters, he would go behind the curtain, and apparently each and every time, he would stagger out from behind the curtain with his clothes all messed up, and he would announce to the crowd that the Galrao had escaped. And, of course, the, that would send the crowd into a panic, uh, and they would take off running without ever having seen the Galrao.
1: Best quarter span of our lives. Yeah. Now, you said the name Rao, if we're pronouncing that correctly, is is based off the noise. Yeah. That seems vaguely familiar to me. Like creature like would be like Rao, Galrao, Galrao, you know, kind of deal. Oh, uh, kind of like a bullfrog. Really? Yeah, kinda. yeah, yeah. I mean, so I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned that. And it's like, there's- a, and Maybe it, it's it, just it, kind
0: of a conglomeration of a lot of different
1: things. Yeah. Half frog, half whatever. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it does. When you make the noise like that, it does not remind me of a bullfrog. And
1: I can see, I mean, what's it saying? It's saying, gowrow. Well, I came across a, another a blurb. It's kind of a short one, and, and I believe I'm going to pronounce this correctly. I'm going to try. The snaufus. S-N-A-W-F-U-S. Snaufus?
0: Snaufus? Snaufus. Is there an L in there?
1: No. Is S-N-A-W-F-U-S. I would say snaufus. Snaufus. Now this cryptid is located on Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> Snuffle <Snuffle-off-less. laughs> This cryptid is located in the Ozarks of Arkansas. It's described as all white in color, and it looks like a large deer or a hart. It's usually said to have plum or dogwood branches in full bloom instead of the typical antlers that you Weird. would see. So it kind of blends in, you know, forest kind of almost faeish kind of look. Now, some say that the Snophus causes this blue haze over the Ozarks from exhaling a blue smoke from its nostrils. And it's also said that it has the ability to fly and jump into trees. So, maybe this is related to Santa Claus and the reindeer somehow. Origins do vary. Some stories say that it was captured by uh, a guy who had orchards and, and captured it. Who was, it kept showing up in, by his trees. And he managed to capture it. Uh, he grafted the Arkansas black apples into its antlers. This is a guy thinking marketing here. Another is about a pioneer that was hunting in the woods and ran out of bullets. So he decided to use plum pits to shoot in this, <laughs> you know, musket style gun. I'm I was going to say that's
0: like a muzzle loader type
1: thing. Uh, so, yeah, did, did the plug get you? No, it was a plum pit that took me out. The pioneer found this albino deer and shot it in the head, but the deer got up and ran away. Now, later, the man heard stories about this albino deer, sure enough, with the, the plum trees head. growing from its head instead wow. of antlers. Now, uh, mm-hmm. Even seeing an albino deer here in the Ozarks is considered a bad omen. I will say I have seen at least three.
0: I don't think I've ever seen any. Uh,
1: There was a gentleman who's since passed away, went to our church, uh, Washington Christian Church at the time. He had and he fed and took care of this uh, total albino, red-eyed, total white deer, said it uh, was blind, typical of a lot of albinoism, uh, and it would come in his backyard, and he actually would even let it in his corral and little barn during hunting season because, I mean, let's face it, this poor thing. Talk about a bullseye on your back. Well,
0: that's sort of the problem and that's why albinism isn't common in the wild because they
1: they don't last long
0: well i mean they're i mean a walking target basically
1: uh but anyhow that's considered a bad omen i'd, I'd never heard that but uh coming across the the is a sign of imminent death according to this story Uh, this is a a very interesting creature I thought to to say the least.
0: It does sound like some kind of Pokemon to be honest. Yeah yeah. You you could see it in a Pokemon game.
1: So I mean yeah it depends on the belief is it uh, some people thought it was like a Native American protector of the forest Uh, but I thought the the shot with a plum pit and thought he killed the deer and then later it shows up and it's got just (laughs) plum growing out instead of antlers. I thought that was a a crazy one.
0: And when it when it makes noise, it just says, "Snofus. Snuffus. Snoffus. Snofus!" <laughs> so I stumbled upon Tales of the Lake Conway Monster. Now, I've got a couple anecdotes here about it. I, I thought it was kind of a neat story. Now, the Lake Conway Monster reputedly haunts the waters of an Arkansas Game and Fish Commission lake. Uh, it was in Faulkner County. Well, the, the lake is in Faulkner County, and uh, with the first reported sighting taking place in 1952. Now, Lake Conway is a 6,700-acre lake created by the damming of Pallarm Creek. Uh, It's about three miles south of Conway. Now, less than one year after it was dammed, an article in the local paper known as the Log Cabin Democrat reported an encounter with a strange creature in the lake. Uh, The reporter made note that people in the area, quote, had whispered about mysterious goings-on in the Pallarm Creek breaks for 30 years before the lake was even a dream. So, like the Heber Springs water panther, you know this this creature was supposedly in the area even before the lake was made, and then the lake was, you know, the the river there was dammed and messed created, up its home, created and problems for it in its environment there. But according to the article, fisherman George Dillon stated that he was running trot lines, and if you're unfamiliar with that term, which I think most people would be familiar, basically you just run a line off a limb or a jug or something with a big hook on all it all the way across the river yeah. and a whole bunch of and hooks hanging big off. Big old of treble it. hooks, hoping to catch catfish. I would think is is the common pray but uh george dylan there was running trot lines near the narrows bridge and he started pulling on his lines pulling them in and he, he thought his line had snagged on something at first he didn't want to come in he was pulling and pulling and pulling
1: and there, done that now when he
0: pulled the line in he pulled up much more than he bargained for dylan said a creature emerged from the water with a trot line hook in its mouth and two more stuck in its face oh a quote from the article He described the animal as weighing about 75 or 80 pounds. Dang. It had green-spotted skin, similar to a frog's, and a head which resembled a monkey's, with its temples
1: pinched in, and a monkey-like mouth with blue lips and no teeth. Is this some of those monkey, sea monkeys that you'd order out of the comic books back then? Those are
0: little, though. Like, microscopic. (laughs) Did you ever
1: turn them loose in the river? Maybe they get bigger? I don't think they get that big. Oh, okay. He said it had fairly broad shoulders,
0: more stooped than a man's, and its back was humped. The chest was concave. Now, Dylan said that the creature struck his boat and then swam away after one hook broke free and the others were pulled straight. So, the ones
1: in his face is yeah. pulled. Oh, oh, poor little monkey fish.
0: Now, Dylan, without shame, told the reporter he stopped fishing in the area where that <laughs> encounter took place.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not going go back there.
0: <laughs> Quote, as for me, seeing is believing, and I wasn't drinking good whiskey nor bad whiskey when I saw it. <laughs> so, the Democrat ran other stories about the Lake Conway monster the next year including one where a fisherman claimed to have shot at the creature and another saying where a monster had taken a, a boy's fishing pole right out of his hands. Now sightings allegedly continued well into the seventies with sightings of being accompanied by a horrific stench. And they actually nicknamed the monster skunk ape. Now I didn't want to refer to it as skunk ape because I think we've talked about skunk ape. Er-
1: we jumped to conclusions of a Bigfoot kind. Well, of- we've talked
0: about the skunk ape earlier too in a, in the Southern swamp stories. It's a story out of Florida. The creature does seem to evolve over time. And, uh, it did become, they started describing it as somewhere between seven and eight feet tall. And so it definitely took on a more Bigfoot like appearance as the stories uh, went on in May of 1980, a father and son encountered the beast. Now it was the son's birthday and his dad let him skip school and they both headed down to Lake Conway with their boat. Well, they're out there on the boat, they're fishing and they started to hear noises in the woods, like limbs breaking and, and something crashing around in the underbrush. And this went on for like a good 10, 15 minutes or so. Now, the son was getting concerned. He, he was worried about what it was. He told his dad, he goes, man, I think there's something out there. And his dad was just like, no, no, son. He kind of downplayed it. Oh, it's just birds. It's just don't worry about it. Well, the son was watching the tree line as he's fishing. He, he, he knows there's something out there, right? Well, suddenly this, the monster just comes bursting out of the tree line and it just runs up to the shore and just stands there watching him.
1: <laughs> Creepy.
0: Now, he described a Bigfoot-like creature, its face covered in hair, brown or black hair all over, its, all over its body as well. Said it was maybe seven feet tall, but it was at a distance and he was a kid, so it was kind of hard to judge. Uh, and at first, he was just frozen in fear. He didn't know. He, he couldn't react. He didn't know what to do. Uh, he did finally manage to get his dad's attention. His dad turned around, he saw the monster, and he pulled out his thirty-eight and he aimed it at the monster.
1: Because that's what we always do if we don't know what it well, is.
0: This kind of helps reinforce the fact that this was not a human in a suit, which the dad thought at first is somebody playing a prank. The monster did not react at all to the gun; it just stood there staring at him, uh, just kept watching him. So finally, the dad pulled up anchor and, and just started up the boat and took off and left the monster behind. Uh, another incident was reported in August of 1985. This time, a fisherman named Lee Allen was seen alone in his flat-bottom boat when he heard a commotion in the water behind him. Now, looking back. He could see something large thrashing around the water, and at first he thought maybe it was like a large beaver or something that had got caught up in somebody's trot lines. And so his first impulse was he was going to go over there and, and free it. But as he kept watching, he realized that he was actually seeing the Lake Conway monster. Ooh, He said the water at that spot must have been at least five feet deep, and the creature's head was a good three to four feet above water. So again, eight, nine feet tall. Now, the beast was kind of thrashing around. Maybe it was caught up in a net or a line or something. But when the beast spotted Lee, it immediately like started moving towards him and it seemed to be angry and aggressive, very aggressive style. And he said it was making this deep throated, angry growling sound the whole way. And he he said it got to his boat much quicker than he thought. He, he looked around trying to figure out what he was going to do. And by the time he looked back, the the beast was right there. And, uh, it just knocked Lee into the water, knocked him right out of the boat. So Lee kind of, you know, dunked down under the water. He swam back up and he grabbed the side of the boat. And as he did, he could hear the beast. Like he, and he, so he kind of pulled himself up a little bit, and the beast was pulling his stringer of fish out of the water and taking the fish off one by one and eating them, most of the time in a single bite.
1: Oh.
0: Uh, maybe it took two bites on a couple of them. So Lee ducked down out of sight again. He you know, he didn't want the monster to see him. He said it seemed like when the beast had finished eating his fish, it just began to rummage around the boat. He just started making noises, moving things around. What
1: else you got? And
0: then after a while, you know, trying to see what was going on, trying to figure out what to do, Lee pokes his head back up again, just to take a peek. Well, the beast saw him this time, and it became incredibly angry again, and it lifted that whole boat out of the water, Oh my! up over its head, and Lee said it was a 300-pound boat, a good-sized boat, lifted this whole boat up out of the water, holding it over its head, and just, like, staring Lee directly in the eyes, angrily. Now, Lee scared out of his wits, begins to kind of half run, half swim back to shore just as fast <laughs> as he could. He was like 75 yards from the shoreline, though. So, I mean, he's got a ways to go. And he's going, and as he looks back, you know, the beast is like closing in. It's, it's making Thank better. Thank goodness he was already time. in the water, so yeah. people didn't notice if he sold his <laughs> undies. So, as he's getting closer to shore, again, he looks back, and the beast is just like right behind him. He's like, he, he just knew it was going to grab him. Well, he starts yelling for help, and as he hits the shore, he runs up into the woods as fast as he can. He turns around, he looks back, he doesn't see the monster anymore. The only evidence that the monster was ever there is his overturned boat out on the, out on the water in the moonlight
1: floating there. And all that happened at night, too. I mean, that's is all a, at night. If, yeah, that's crazy.
0: And a book published in 2007 claims that the last sighting of the monster was by, quote, a well-known and influential citizen of the nearby town of Conway. So he did not give his name. Uh, now, he was out checking his trot lines one night, pretty common thread here, when his boat was pulled nearly 40 yards toward the middle of the lake. And after feeling something repeatedly bump against the bottom of the boat, he said, whatever it was surfaces and looks right at him. He said, quote, it was a monster. The most frightening thing I've ever seen or could ever imagine. A face and head straight from the depths of hell. And then it just kind of slowly went back under the surface. And this unnamed fisherman made his way back to shore. We'll say the beast has never been photographed despite the fact that at one point in time, the editor of the log cabin Democrat declared he would run no further reports on the creature without a picture.
1: But yet he did.
0: Well, he did eventually run some more stories. It's about the, it's about those clicks. It's right? all about, you gotta make money, gotta make money or clicks. You can tell I'm a modern human. It's about
1: selling papers. Well, I've got a story here. Um, a werewolf or dog, man, uh, of Arkansas. Now, um, This comes from a man who wished to remain anonymous. He recently came forward with a childhood story that he shared publicly on an online forum I definitely want to give credit to, known as uh, CryptoMundos. Uh, The man goes on, and I'm direct quote here, I am 44 years old now. I've had two incidences in my life uh, where I am absolutely confident I saw a huge hairy wolf or wolf-like creature. Uh, once was in the 1970s, and I was rather young, maybe seven or eight at the time. Now this creature was looking at me in my bed on a night uh, it was quite stormy outside. Uh, he said before I saw it, he goes, I don't know how long it had been there, and you know stared at me. But he remembered how big and how broad it was. He said it stood on two legs, uh, you know, upright, erect, as a human would. Uh, It was a dark night, but he said, I remember the storm vividly because it would kind of illuminate and light up this thing from the background as the lightning storms was behind. He goes, it was still close enough that the flash of lightnings would light up everything outside. He said, the thing had a wolf-like face, so it definitely not a typical Sasquatch. That's why I'm calling it a werewolf or dog man. He goes, it had pointy ears that seemed to keep moving like it was listening closely. Uh, During the whole experience, he remembered those ears being very animated, he said. Uh, So he goes, I knew it wasn't, even at my age, I knew it wasn't like a mask. It had too much abilities, you know, with the ears twitching. Yeah, too articulate. Uh, He said, um, those ears twitched the entire time for some reason. He goes, it never snarled, it never growled, never howled, it never made any noise. It just stood on the front porch and was looking in. And now from what I understood, this, I'd almost resemble that of like a trailer. He was over at his grandmother's house, him and his sister. And so they were like sleeping in the living room because he talks about the screen door. So I'm trying to kind of envision this. It wasn't like it was staring in a bedroom window at him, but standing on the front porch looking through the door. He does say, I was in bed, I'm assuming maybe like on the couch, trying to settle down and go back to sleep after the main part of the storm had left, which had rattled me as a kid. Uh, he said, for some reason, I felt like I just needed to look outside. So he said, I turned over, rolled over, and I sat up. And he goes, I was—it was not twenty feet away from me. He says, this thing, and I were only separated by the rod iron door and the glass. So I I'm imagine it's one of those, you know, kind of ornate rod iron doors with the, you know, with the glass for a, a glass screen door. Uh, he goes, I became terrified to a point. He goes, I started yelling like mad. My grandmother. And my little sister were asleep in a bed even closer to the door. But at the angle that they would set up, they couldn't see what I was seeing. He goes, it, it literally scared me out of my wits. He goes, I started screaming and quickly, of course, my grandmother woke up, turned on a small lamp, then ran over to me to try to comfort me and figure out what was going on. She thought I was just having a nightmare. He goes, I was staring at this thing the entire time. My grandma was like hugging me. And he said, I couldn't get words out. He goes, all I could do is I kept pointing towards the door and it, and it continued to stare at me during this entire time. And he goes, I couldn't speak a word. When I pointed, it started slowly stepping back on the porch from the door as my grandmother finally turned to see what it was I was pointing at that was scaring me. Now, he says, she, never, she said she never saw it, but I was confident she did. Her voice changed and she woke up immediately, said my sister woke up about this time and stayed there in the bed. She was a little younger than I was and she began to cry and sob because I was so scared. So basically she was feeding off of his, you know, being afraid. Said I saw the thing turn and slowly move away, not at a fast pace at all, didn't leap off the porch, didn't jump off the porch, just stepped away and kind of faded into the darkness. Now, the man goes on to talk uh, about the, the really big paw prints that was later found in the mud, because again, the storm, it had rained, and said his grandfather's own encounter, he also had an encounter with the beast that he later shared with him. And he goes, that day that my grandmother also finally told me, and I'm assuming this was like many, many years later, maybe like on her deathbed, and she confessed, I saw it that night when I turned around. I didn't know how to react. I didn't want to scare you anymore, but I saw what you saw, and I'm sorry I kept it from you this entire time. Now, whether you believe the man's story or not, it is a heck of a tale and a welcome change of pace from the stories of the Bigfoot and howls and tree knocks. But, uh, you know, was it a dog man? Was it a werewolf? Was this possibly like a skinwalker? Maybe this is someone that knew the children. Maybe that's why it didn't snarl, bark, growl, and was just observing. We well, may you, never
0: know. You talked about the, the Nixa hellhound in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. And I know I have friends who kind of relate a similar story to that. So, I mean, we do kind of have a tradition of that in the Ozarks, I think. Large dog like animals.
1: We had, of course, uh, D.A. Roberts, author. Yeah. Very avid and involved with the dog man you know, tracking and organization and reporting.
0: And then the main story he related was land between the lakes, which is in Kentucky, which isn't all that far
1: away either. Nope. But he also had an encounter in Branson down on the
0: White River. Yeah, he talked about that.
1: Now, technically not a cryptid, but still of notable value, especially on an episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway like we do. I don't think it would be complete to talk about Arkansas without a few other tales of non-cryptid, and one of America's most haunted hotels, nestled on top of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Here are some excerpts from a site called The Travel, a website regarding the infamous Crescent Hotel. Now, Arkansas is famous for its hot springs, its prominent tourist attractions to the region, hotels and agencies promoting their healing properties, especially around the turn of the century. Located on top of the Ozark Mountains, overlooking the quaint little town of Eureka Springs, proudly sets the Crescent Hotel and Spa. It was announced as a secluded place where wealthy people could enjoy Arkansas and the healing, bubbling springs back around the era of 1886. Yet, due to financial problems, it didn't take long for the Crescent Hotel and Spa to close its doors. Later, the building became a home to many different things, but in different endeavors, several witnesses endorse the rumors that the place is haunted. Purely
0: coincidental. I've been reading a lot of Stephen King, and I'm currently on The Shining, and uh, that sounds very much like the Overlook Hotel. Yes.
1: So, and I think during that era, the you know, especially the minerals and bubbling springs and that style of a spa hotel.
0: Well, these, these high dollar was the schnick, you know, high dollar fancy vacation. Places. destinations. Because, you know, the, the overlook is, of course, based on the Stanley Hotel, which was that kind of place.
1: Mm-hmm. As I said, the Crescent Hotel and Spa was announced as a secluded place where wealthy people could come and enjoy Arkansas and, and the Healing Springs. So the Eureka Springs Crescent Hotel is open today for reservations. Uh, you can still get rooms there to stay the night. My wife and I have been there many occasions. Never rented a room there for the night, but we've done some ghost hunts. We, they allow you to kind of walk through.
0: Yeah, ever- we See anything? Never Encounter. saw anything.
1: I, I will say it is an area that some of you may get this, but it has an energy. It feels like a place where something you should happen. You can definitely feel that energy, the hair on the back of your neck.
0: Now, there, there's a part of me, because to be honest, I'm at least half skeptic on some of this stuff. Eric and I have talked about this before. I wonder if places like that, sometimes you bring it with you. You know what I mean? Like, well, again, you, you we dream it, know it up. We're materializing it. Yeah. So... Yeah. But, but again, I mean, you, you know, I, I definitely know I've been to places where I have felt uncomfortable in that place. So,
1: And I will say, you know, I got into ghost hunting because of my own near-death experience or my death experience that I talked about on a podcast. But um, I also am a skeptic. I think I'm probably more open believer than Bill is. You know, we talked about the Morris Mill and, and different things. I will say I have went into places where they're like, oh my gosh, you're going to feel something. You're going to see something. Morris and, I, Mill. <laughs> and I left and I had no feelings whatsoever. And, and, and that mean. was
0: Morris Mill for me. I know that not everybody had the same experience that night. But yeah. for me, I expected more. Yeah. Uh, the, the way the guy sold it, which I understand that was his job. Patrick, I believe his name was. That was his job to sell it. Right. But I really thought that was going to be the day that cemented it for me. I did not walk away with the same feeling.
1: You know, and the the famous or infamous words of taps, ghost hunters, ghosts don't play on cue. Yeah. You know, so there's always that. But back to the Crescent Hotel. Just a little history behind the building. The first tragedy at the building happened during its construction when a stonemason identified only as Michael had a fatal accident. Now, many years later, people still claim to see his ghost hanging around in the same room where he fell to his death. The accident didn't outshine the Crescent Hotel's spa inauguration, however. The show must go on. They celebrated with a, a gala ball uh, for VIP guests, including the region's most influential and wealthiest people of the time. Now, shortly after the inauguration, the hotel, again, fell into financial problems. It's almost like it was doomed, you know. But again, some of the businesses and things that they were trying to do there, and maybe being in... I don't mean to sound bad, but Arkansas, not a coastal town. It had Ozark mountains, but not the, you know, like mountains of the Stanley hotel, no ski resorts, you know, maybe just poor well, planning, timing location.
0: Well, it could also be a side effect of the fact that we live here. So to us, True it's not that. a tourist destination. Because I'm going to tell you right now, when you're from Missouri and you travel and somebody finds out you're from Missouri, the first question you get, have you been to Branson? What's oh, Branson yeah. like? Oh yeah. And it's like, I can just go to Branson any day of the week I want. It's not that big a deal.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and to other people, yeah, it's a travel destination. Now, sometime between 1903 and 1924, the building uh, was the address for the Crescent College and Conservatory for Young Women. Now, this period was marked by yet another accident. One of the students possibly fell or jumped to commit suicide, the story varies, from one of the windows and died. Now, after the Crescent College was closed, Other people tried using the building for new businesses as well, but again, didn't seem to be in the cards and they all folded. Here's where things get a little movie-esque, if you will, for horror film. The Crescent Hotel and Spa became a hospital with what I will describe as a mad scientist doctor type. This guy was a quack. He, I'll just read. Despite the accidents, the Crescent Hotel Eureka Springs became known as one of the most haunted places in the United States and remains on that list today. A lot of that, I think, is thanks to Norman Baker. The man purchased the building in I 1937. really knew you were to say Norman Bates. <laughs> right? It's close. I had, to, I had to watch myself. But In 1937, he decided to open a hospital and a health spa for cancer patients. He was a charlatan. And had no medical education at all, but managed to attract dozens and dozens of patients by advertising miraculous treatments on the radio. Now, Baker's elixir of healing, as he called it, consisted now what we know of as a combination of ingredients that included, better write this down, it cures everything, watermelon seeds, corn silk, and clover. He would only accept patients with no close relatives and promised that if he could not cure this individual within six weeks, they wouldn't have to pay a penny.
0: The relatives thing makes sense. That way, nobody can come
1: back on you if you, say, kill their family member. Bingo!
0: <laughs>
1: However, Baker's exams consisted of pitching and looking at the patients. His treatments were far away from harmless. Baker would torture these patients, injecting this elixir, not giving it to them as a dose. I said, injecting it, not through a needle, oh no, by drilling holes in their skulls and then injecting it into the brain.
0: There's no negative energy associated with that.
1: Yeah. He would isolate the patient's suffering in a wing known as the psychiatric ward. Now, you just injected some poor person's brain with corn, silk, watermelon, seeds, and clover. I guess maybe it could have been worse, but it's hard to imagine. Uh, Many authorities and doctors tried to stop Baker time and time again, but he always managed to find a way to get ahead of them, loopholes or whatever. He would have the patients sign contracts that basically would give him the permission to do whatever he felt needed to be done to treat them. He was finally arrested for mail fraud and imprisoned for four years. Yet the hotel's grim history still impacts people visiting the building there today. Now today, as I mentioned, the hotel is open for guests. After the hospital was closed, the building remained abandoned for many, many years. And a fire actually occurred, almost burned the place down in the 1950s. In 1997, it was purchased by a Marty and... Elise, I believe they pronounced their names Regnick, who spent six years renovating it uh, and determined to reopen it as a hotel. Now, since then, the hotel has received many recognitions, including by the National Trust of Historic Preservation as one of America's dozen distinctive designations. So, again, we grew up in Missouri. Arkansas is not that far. This apparently is a huge, huge draw, and it is a it is a really neat place. If you've never been to Eureka Springs, much less the Crescent. It is worth the trip. Of course, they they really embraced the whole haunted aspect, the reputation as a haunted place. Uh, They even use it to attract more tourists. Guests can enjoy their year-round haunted tours, chilling shows, ghost stories, thrilling events, especially during Halloween. Ghost tours include visiting the room where uh, Baker used as a morgue and an autopsy room. Uh, Every year they receive over 3,000 guests trying to discover some of the hotel's mysteries. Paranormal activities? Oh yes. The Crescent Hotel is known as one of the most haunted hotels in the United States still today. And there's several reports of paranormal activities on the building, around the building, and the grounds. People often say they see these ghosts of doctors, nurses, patients, even pets. The most haunted spot appears to be room 218. This is the same place that the stone mason building of the hotel fell to his death. Now, the place became a popular destination among paranormal investigators who studied the area. They believe the secret behind its paranormal activity goes back again to its foundations. The hotel was built on 18-inch thick limestone, and we have talked about this with the Pythian Castle, even the Morris Mill. Seems a, to hold energy. I, I don't think it's like a, an Ozark thing, but limestone, we have a lot of it that's quarried and mined around here. Of course, Carthage had its own almost like marble S type limestone, but a lot of these buildings around here were built with this mined local limestone. And it's believed this stone in particular releases and or captures electromagnetic and psychic energies.
0: Well with that, I think it's time for headlines. So my headline was uh by Bob McNally published on June 15th, 2022. The monster of Lake Conway. Large alligator captured on video in Central Arkansas. Now, rumors have circulated for years about a big alligator prowling Lake Conway in Central Arkansas. And recently, a kayaker caught it on camera. Oh. So Cole Harkin of Conway, Arkansas, was kayaking and fishing on the 6,700-acre Lake Conway. That's a big lake. You said that earlier, 6,700 acres. When he encountered a rare sight for those waters, a huge alligator swimming at the surface. Quote, he was at least nine feet, could have been maybe 10 feet long. Now, according to Hardin, in an interview with Little Rock Fox 16, Harkin has been fishing Lake Conway for over 20 years, and he's heard tales of a big gator, but he didn't believe them until he actually saw one for
1: himself. And you're out there in a small kayak.
0: Yeah. Uh, he got within just 10 yards of the alligator and, and you know, took some video of it. And then he also sent up a drone to get some aerial footage of it as it swam along the surface.
1: That's clever. Yeah.
0: Now, the ridge line along the back of the gator was well-pronounced, which indicates, one, the alligator's large size, and also its its age. It's not a... You know, it's been around for a year or two. Uh, Now, alligators have made a comeback in Arkansas, but they're mainly found in southeastern and southwestern corners of the state. Lake Conway is right smack dab in the middle of Arkansas and only about 100 miles south of the Missouri border. So it's much further north in Arkansas than they normally find We actually,
1: my wife and I went through that area in maybe a month, month and a half ago, actually.
0: Now, estimates say there are between 2,000 and 3,000 alligators in the state. And Arkansas has had a regulated alligator hunt for the last 15 years with hunters tagging 161 alligators just last season.
1: I had no idea.
0: No, I didn't either. Uh, Now, the largest alligator ever taken in Arkansas was a 13 and a half foot, 800 pounder.
1: Dang.
0: And that was brought in during the 2020 season. Wow. Arkansas does have
1: alligators. I would have never dreamed that. i and here they are, our, our yeah, neighbors. Yeah, I didn't know they had enough
0: to have a season, but I mean, I'm sure people don't realize we have enough bears to have a bear season in Missouri now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, right I think We have we, an elk season too, don't we now? I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Uh, and, and I know we don't have a whole lot. But, Talking about the bears when we both worked at, at Emerson, oh, yeah. there was a bear spotting over there. Just, I think, in the last year, from right where we sat here at the building where Raven's Loft is. We had a bear walking downtown commercial street, getting into the dumpsters. And-
0: late late 90s, I was on my way to work out when I worked in Dixon uh, for Paramount Headwear. I was on my way to work in the morning, and I swear I saw a bear in the, in the side of the road on the way into work. My dad said he'd seen one. My mom called him a liar. <laughs> and I, when I said I saw one, of course, my dad used that as leverage. Yeah, see, to be you like, see? see I'm, he saw one too. He saw one too. No, my, my mom swore up and down I saw somebody's chow. I'm like, no, I know the difference between a dog and a bear.
1: Well, my headline, I'm going to circle back around to Eureka Springs, and in particular, the Crescent Hotel. Like I had previously stated, the hotel served as this hospital for this mad scientist type, this laboratory or laboratory for many years. It's well documented that during that time frame, late 1930s to 1940s, more than 40 people died at the hands of this doctor in the building when it was called a hospital retreat. And it's hardly something that will ever be forgotten. We talked about Dr. Norman Baker. He was a man, I'm saying based on the pictures and stuff I saw, late 20s, early 30s, he was actually pretty pretty young. Again, no medical training whatsoever. True charlatan, but he advertised well, had a good PR face. He mixed everything from seance-style practices to group hypnotics. Uh, to drilling holes in living human skulls and injecting his tonics and homemade remedies. And some recently discovered old paper advertising that started in 2020, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the authors, but there was a man and a woman that went together during the whole pandemic, and they're like, you know what, we've got some downtime. Nobody had really looked into this guy a whole lot, so they really dove deep. They found some true advertising, like newspaper magazine articles and stuff, and word for word, I found this article. Or they shared it. I saw it. We do not cut out any organ. Well, that's pretty good to have on a you know promotional pamphlet, <laughs> I guess. We cure cancer tumors without any x-ray, radium, or operation needed. Okay, that, that's interesting. Yet a grim discovery was made just a few years back in 2019 that kind of challenges some of that magazine and advertising. While excavating some of the backyard gardens, a rather grim discovery indeed was made. A bottle and glass dump was discovered. Now, that's not all that uncommon. For, you know, especially around the the turn-of-the-century homes and establishments, even cities and towns, they would have these dump sites, things that wouldn't commonly burn, you know, glass tin cans and stuff like that they would dig a hole you know especially the glass items would be discarded there since they didn't burn Uh, and then the hole was covered up and filled on and life went on but many of these such discoveries are actually quite welcomed by glass bottle collectors all over the world it's like a time capsule where all of these bottles were placed with the way the glass bottles fit together it allows for drainage uh, so they don't freeze, they don't break, so they're able to pull up a lot of times perfectly preserved turn-of-the-century bottles, many of them still with the original corks and caps and lids uh, that have survived, and some of them fetch a very hefty resale value. But this time, this one was a little different. These bottles and jars were not empty. They did not have medicines or tonics or booze and alcohol in them, but rather of what was decided to be human tissues, tumors that was removed from patients, of the mad scientist, Dr. Baker.
0: I just got like a shiver.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine the poor guy out there, the gardener, digging this (laughs) stuff up? Putting the whole eerie, creepy factor on overdrive here once again, and pushed the Crescent Hotel back into the news media limelight of the headlines. You know, what foul atrocities and torture trials were done here? And it would stand to reason, with such foul play and negative intent energy, again with the limestone foundation, that at least a few of these poor, poor souls might still wander the hallways, rooms, and the grounds of the Crescent Hotel.
0: So you and I both born and raised in the Ozarks. Indeed. What would you say is the strangest creature, whether... Cryptid related, or something that seemed out of place, or just something unexpected. The strangest creature you've seen unexpectedly, or like I said, wrong place, wrong time, whatever.
1: I've went coon hunting a few times uh, with my dad and, and some of his friends, and probably I'm going to answer your question twofold. First, seen was a bobcat. I'd never seen a bobcat up close. The dogs had treated, you know, we're, were out trying to get raccoons for pelts and fur, but. This obviously was not a raccoon, and it was screeching and screaming and hollering and hissing. And, but it was also a very beautiful, majestic creature. I, I'm kind of weird that way, I guess. But
0: I was always afraid I was going to run into a bobcat when I was hiking, they're but I've beautiful. never seen one.
1: They can really be beautiful. But by second-fold not seen, I have heard some of the creepiest-ass sounds that I have went to investigate and never found which is more disturbing to me of what i can see
0: so mine starts with the sound and then eventually seeing
1: so you got to see whatever was making the sound
0: i had gone fishing with a friend from work which uh for a little while there became pretty common we usually would go after we get off work on a friday morning you know because we worked four-day schedule so thursday we work thursday night we get off work we'd go home we'd get changed in our fishing gear and grab our poles and we'd go and like a good time he he Took me all kinds of different places to go fishing. And we were down on the Ruby Dew.
1: Know the area well.
0: I would say south of the spring, if I've got my directions right. Way past the park and, and, and heading out of town, that direction. Okay. And One again, of the
1: deepest spring caves right there, by the way, around.
0: But it was early morning, you know. We, we usually got out there just right as the sun was coming up most days. And there's a, like a rock quarry, I think, down there. And he knew the guy who owned the property, so we cut through there to get down there. And we're going up along the, the river, and I hear this scream come out of the woods that I have never heard before. I don't know, never heard this before, <laughs> and it happens once, and I'm looking around, and I look over at my my friend there, and he's just fishing away trying like, to ignore it or well, maybe I didn't hear it. Well, then it happens again, and I'm like, "Okay, I know you're hearing that." and he goes, just offhanded, never turns, looks back, never sa-. he's just like, "Oh, maybe Sasquatch." <laughs> okay hold uh, on do say what i've lived my whole life waiting for this moment <laughs> so i'm like okay and i'm listening and i hear some commotion you know out in the trees a little ways but we heard it maybe one more time after i said something and that was it now for the life of me i could not like i, I did not know what this was so we we get back in the the truck and when we're done which i gotta admit i never had much luck fishing i always said i could survive if i had to because i knew how to fish but I might be able to feed like one child. <laughs> um, so we're heading back down the road and we drive past a house that's kind of between where we were and, and where you would go to the, where you would cross the river. And in the yard of this house, I see peacocks.
1: Oh, and I have
0: to assume what I heard was a
1: peacock. Oh, I've yeah. never heard one before. They have I? quite a loud cry,
0: but yeah, at the time it really freaked me out. Cause when he, he just casually said, Oh, maybe Bigfoot, whatever Sasquatch. And I'm like, what? You know, he didn't believe in that kind of stuff, obviously. But for me, I was like, I'm about to get mauled by Bigfoot out here.
1: There are a lot of strange noises around here in the woods. And again, I, I grew up, you know, quail hunting, uh, coon hunting, a little bit fishing. But I, I will be the first to admit, I'm not the great outdoorsman. I'm not the great hunter, you know, kind of deal. But I can tell you many times we've even been sitting on our porch, and especially during fox and skunk mating season. These creatures make noises that should not come out of their mouths. And I mean the hair on the back of your neck. A bobcat will sound like a baby or a woman scream. I always heard that, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. When we were out coon hunting, I I heard that, and that's what led to this bobcat being treed. And you would swear there is a small child or a woman being brutally murdered in the woods feet from you it is scary stuff
0: i don't know if you remember the viral hit what does the fox say <laughs> yes but when that was uh when that came out i'm the kind of guy that was like what what noise does a fox make and so we looked it up and yeah like if you oh. heard that in the middle of the woods at night not expecting it that'd be creepy
1: yeah the mating calls like i said skunks also are another one that's like you don't want to get close to a skunk and see a skunk, but man, they make some weird noises.
0: I, I was with some friends one time and we had gone to a house kind of out in the middle of nowhere that was allegedly haunted. And I'd heard all kinds of weird stories about this place, but we would go there and we would not probably supposed to be there. <laughs> but I remember walking out one time and I can only assume it was calving season, but I heard this bellow and you couldn't tell where it was coming from because where we we're at, was kind of down in a, in a hauler, if you will.
1: Kind of echoes around.
0: And so you couldn't tell where it was coming from, and it was really deep, and it was kind of raggedy sounding almost, so Mm -hmm. we couldn't, I can only assume it's a cow in labor pains or whatever, but without knowing what it was immediately, like once we had walked further out and and got a clear, uh, you know, we could hear it clearer, we knew what it was, we recognized it, but at first I thought, boy, all the stories I've heard about this place, true, and this is some evil dead demon in the (laughs) woods kind of thing getting ready to happen.
1: Well, we brought it up several times, and I don't mean to always pick on your on your brother and sister, but when we went <laughs> on the ghost hunt at Wilson Cemetery. That was funny. And we heard that, that cry, and I think it was like foxes or something mating, and I heard the car doors, tch, 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 I mean, just lock, and it's like, oh yeah, thanks guys. You know, leave us out here.
0: Now, um, to be fair, they said if you sat in your car, you would uh, have different experiences. We were trying to.
1: That's what it was, I'm sure. That's exactly what it now, was. No, I
0: know what you're talking I remember. Tim's reaction to that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, that is yet another example of two old guys sitting around talking about creepy tales of a little thing we call Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks so much for coming along. Hey, real quick, call to action.
0: I think Eric would agree. We'd like to grow this. Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Absolutely. If you could, if you're listening on Apple, if you would go and give us a review and and rate us, Uh, if you have some feedback, that's fine too. Uh, whatever, whatever platform you're listening, follow us, rate us, give us some reviews. That helps get some recognition and
1: gets our name out there. We do have a Facebook page, Nightmares on the Lost Highway. You can easily find us if you want to communicate with us. If you want to share some uh, possibilities for future podcasts with us, you know, reach out. We want to talk with you guys. I wanted to do the Galraw, okay. Arkansas. Police. Lock that one out. The Galraw. <laughs>
0: Well I told you my treasure hunting one kinda of ties into it, so I want to do it first so I can
1: gotcha. hey, you can ask my wife, I was like, Bill, I don't <laughs> know what you've done to me, but wow. Even that mental psycho thing that like, you had me do.
0: I said, Well, go ahead and do other things from Arkansas.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I before I reached no, out to you, you it's like I'm there's gotta be more. Fine. There's gotta be more to
0: be fair, when I sat down and started doing it. And I, I, what I do is I do, like, a Google search, and then I just save right. all the links. Yeah. I don't I don't read okay. them. As I started doing the Galra, I, I brought the first one up, and I did, like, the body. like yeah. the, the, I laid the foundation. And then open opened the next one. Shit. It's like okay, verbatim. I, I opened the next one. Shit. Close that yeah. one. Open the next one. Okay, there's a line I didn't have, and I put that in. <laughs> the rest of it's the same. Click. So even me, like, when I sat down to finish this yesterday, I only had, like, one page. And I'm like, and it was, everything for the Galrao was the same. It's all the same. And I'm like, that's not going to work. So then when you texted and you're like, dude, I can't find anything. I'm like, yeah, just find some other monsters or whatever from, from Arkansas. That's the best we're going to do. Yeah. There's tons of links. Oh, there's a million oh links. Oh my gosh, yeah. But they're all the same.
1: All the same. And then after you told me that, it's like, yeah, we can do this. And it's like, White River Check. Nope. Falc Falc Monster. Monster. Nope. Falk Monster. Nope. Ozark Caller. Check. Ozar Check. It's I,
0: like- I managed to find a couple other monsters like I said and then I found I found like a guy alluding to other monsters but then I couldn't find anything about catfish man there's apparently a humanoid catfish that stalks Arkansas <laughs> that there's stories about <laughs> wow but there's nothing on the internet about it I, I could d- not find it I did I, there was find like one, one line.
1: Uh, werewolf dog man for Arkansas that I thought <laughs> oh. was kind of an interesting story too
0: do some crappy fishing
1: no Crap-y. to do some crappy fishing d- dang crappy fishing
0: I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks
1: to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, (laughs) using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will.
0: And i would like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love,
1: but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.